This is episode 95 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's roll. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and this podcast features great stories from business women all over the world who have tons of information and inspiration for you on your journey. I've got a great story to share with you today, but before we begin, it is time for our Biz Women Wednesday series. <laughs> Every single Wednesday before our main interview, we take a second to shine the light on an amazing woman who's a part of the Biz Women Rock community. Today, that light goes on Audrey Christy McLaughlin. And Audrey owns a company called McLaughlin Sales Group. She really helps physicians, hospitals, and anyone in the medical industry create a really sustainable business by creating a wonderful customer service environment for patients. If you want to find out more about Audrey and how you can be featured in our Biz Women Wednesday series, just go to bizwomenrock.com. Now let's do it. Holy cow, I am so excited to introduce my guest to you today. Her name is Hetty Kundal, and she's the founder of a company called MyTab. So MyTab is a service that pretty much acts as like a travel gift card. So this is a gift card that you could actually, uh, people can gift you money towards your travel, whether it's for your honeymoon or for a travel abroad or anything. There's a whole social component with it. It's amazing. It is completely shifting the paradigm on how you actually book travel and use travel. It's really, really great. She is totally excitable and bouncing off the walls during this interview. It's incredibly entertaining and she is wonderful. So if you need a jolt for your day, you've come to the right place. Let's go. Hetty, thanks so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, in addition to the fact that I love your accent, this is going to be a fabulous conversation because um, I'm so fascinated by your business and above and beyond that, I'm very fascinated at the woman that you are and the business experience that you've had. So thank you so much for being on the show. No, thank you. This is great. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to start with was, you know, you have your company, MyTab Inc. We're going to get into how you really got there, but can you give us a little bit of a background as to kind of what kind of a professional that you were prior to having your own company? Because you've had a very, very extensive um, kind of PR and marketing background. Yeah, so I have 20 years of PR marketing, and every time that I was literally hunting around for a job, something used to land on my feet that was you know, we're not sure what we're doing with this now and we need maybe some help on it. And I was thrown into every single job. So in the U.S., you normally have a PR marketer who is divided into segments and normally don't overlap. They either handle PR or they handle marketing or now social in the last few years. I was thrown into all of it. So I learned everything really quickly. I, I had a bachelor's in, in, in business and marketing, but from the first get-go of the first job, I was literally a, a, a manager. I've, I've never actually been anything less than a manager or a director. Um, so we just progressed from there. I worked with Marriott Hotels, the youngest ever conference manager in the UK. Um, but I started doing so much more of the PR and the marketing uh, while I was working there. With, I was working for the marketing manager. I reported to her. What kind of projects were you working on during that time? Well, the, the job was to be a conference manager, so that wasn't 100% the PR marketing, but I would work heavily with the marketing director, marketing manager slash director, 
um, on, on various different campaigns to be able to drill at business for the, uh, for the company, but doing a lot of like B2B kind of marketing. Um, and then after a couple of years, I went to London and every job was going to be random. I literally found the job over at the TV company. It's called CME. It's a public company owned by S.A. Lauder's son, Ronald Lauder. And they own the, the um, uh, commercial TV and re- radio stations over in, in Europe, like, like if you, what you would really call like the Eastern Bloc of what that used to be the Eastern Bloc of Europe. So I started off um, in P- um, I started off in marketing, and then I switched over to PR. Then I was tag team with that, and it just randomly, just from walking into a headhunter's upstairs from I think it was a McDonald's on Oxford Street. <laughs> I don't even know why I did this. I walked in, have you got any jobs? And they said, well, actually, do you want to go for an interview in about an hour? And I'm like, yes. And then I got the job. So it's always happened that way. The next stage was basically working in music PR and then coming back. And now a headhunter who I'd spoken with years earlier, she just randomly got in touch with me just as I arrived back into the UK and say, hey, I've got this restaurant company. Do you want to go for an interview? I'm like, I've, I've been out of the country for months, and you just call me literally as I arrive back into England. Um, so then I started overseeing and heading up the PR and the marketing and everything in that realm on the creative for the largest independent restaurant company in the UK. Wow. Then I was offered a job in Los Angeles while I just came over on vacation, just random. Decided to take that and run with it. Did that for three years, realized LA wasn't really my personality fit, and then out the blue I was offered a job in San Francisco, so I've been up here since. Wow. Holy cow. Okay. So Mm. lots of different stages, lots of different steps. (laughs) I'd actually like to get in there just a little bit because I am so fascinated by kind of marketing skill sets. And, um, and so what I'd like to kind of have you express is what kind of things did you learn that worked really well in your marketing experience throughout all of those companies? The biggest common denominator was that, um, you shouldn't just rely on one area. You shouldn't just rely on only socials. You shouldn't rely just on trying to get press coverage, print or online. You should be working from a calendar. And because I'm a, an insanely organized person, my, my brain is a lot that goes on inside of it. And that's why I speak quickly and act quickly and do things rapidly. And I'm, I'm very fireable. and need to create a structure. So I... I also wanted to create structure so anybody else in the company could use it as a blueprint. Now, not realizing that I was creating it with that intention at the time, every company I pretty much worked for, I created a structure. I organized a marketing and PR calendar so you could fill in all the gaps. This is a slow time of the year for the restaurants. This is a fast, this is when we get really, really busy. So we need to maybe promote um, something differently for like further down the line. So when you start creating literally like a physical calendar, and you start filling in the gaps, you can then see the following year what's worked, what's not worked, and then other people can take over and take elements of that, like marketing and PR assistance, etc. And you're creating a pattern of um, maneuvering the percentage around that didn't work and then increasing on the areas that did. And this then creates a structure. So it's not focusing on one area. It's focusing on a pure calendar, which years later, companies that I've worked with are still using the calendars that I've created. Wow. Because it's pretty much turned into like a no-brainer kind of setup. Um, I mean, there's one company that I worked for that and a new marketing director took over and this person literally copied everything I did down to the down to the book, wow. uh, down to the T, uh, which it wasn't credit to me in that sense. It was credit that the formula works. So, so anybody like basically who's not sure how to, how to set up the systems or how to market or PR, 
work out seasonal events that are going on. Work out when you've got peaks and troughs. Start filling in the gaps. Maybe something for Valentine's Day. Maybe it's slow in July. You'll then start creating this flow, and then you can tweak it as you go along. So that was always my foundation. So for somebody who that's your natural inclination to um, really approach marketing from a, a kind of what's projected to happen six months down the road or two months down the road and then work backwards, what are the first steps that you could give to somebody? Because te- technically speaking, I don't think that that's a natural thing for a lot of people to do with marketing. They're thinking, oh my gosh, I have this new product coming out or I have this new service I want to go market and I'm just going to go blast it out there. So what recommendations or maybe what many steps can somebody take to kind of um, make that real and actually do the projections and actually keep that information? Like what, what tools were you using and what approach did you take to it? Well, okay, so think about it this way. If you're talking about somebody that they've got a new product that wants to slam it out, that is a typical way of doing it. It is it works for a split second. It has a shelf life of like a blip. It's like working in a staccato effect. You're not looking at the long term. You're not looking at a full vision. You always need to be looking at what's going on now with the intention of what do you want that product to be doing in six months or a year time or how does it fit in around other products or services that you've got going on. If you think about that product as um, cupcakes, right? Somebody is organizing a party. You don't just have the cupcakes and say, right, here you go, and that's basically it. You plan it. You send out the invitations. You make sure people are following up. You make sure you get the booze or whatever it is, the drinks that you want to get in. You need to get napkins. You pad out the cupcake with other areas that are going on to be able to create this party. Now, the party is, if you categorize it in this way, the metaphor, basically the party is your business. The product is the cupcake. You don't just throw the cupcake out there. You pad it around to build everything related to your business. So when you're looking at something like a calendar, you get a physical calendar. It has all the notable dates of the year logged in. So then you think about, okay, for Thanksgiving. So you work it this way. Okay, so I need to book my flight. I need to tell my friends where I'm going. I need to tell my family so we can plan. You don't just go in there and think, Thanksgiving, right, I'm on the plane now. You, you plan around it. And the same thing with a business. Use that same calendar or the cupcake plan around it, build it up, pad it. So while you're padding it, you're actually strengthening your business. And while you're doing that simultaneously, you then can see this cupcake may be bigger than I thought it would be. Maybe I could do more with this. Maybe there's some tweaks I can go. Maybe there's some ideas to be able to do another cupcake party in like nine months' time. It could maybe be an annual event. This, you put this in your brain, convert it over to any kind of hosting a party or an event or looking at a calendar and planning a trip, this is the way you should be running your business, especially when it comes to the PR and the marketing side. You can't do an isolated, like, blast it out, here's a press release, send it out, sit back, and wait for everybody to adore you. Because that feature set might need to work, or that product might need to work alongside something else that somebody else in the company is working on that you maybe can do another marketing campaign in six months' time or a year, and now you're creating a longevity as opposed to an isolated shelf life. In your, Does that in, make sense? Yeah. In your past professional life, what is one example of one of the probably best and most effective mar- marketing strategies that you implemented? Well, it was the easiest one, which is bizarre. Um, and, and I've got a lot of them. that I've, I mean, truthfully, it's done really, really well. And I won't say it's just so much credit to like my experience or what. 
we've got we had really really good teams on board people were rallying around i had a really long range vision i had to coax everybody into it because i didn't understand it at the beginning and then when they saw the pattern of it they could roll with it so that's always a great one that other people can then take the ball by the horns and diversify it which is great because then everybody gets it and they take ownership which is a point it's not to do with the ego that i created it it's the empowerment of what happens from there so Say, for example, one event, we did this roadhouse, uh, a roadhouse, one of our bars in London that I used to PR. Um, it was a downstairs bar in Covent Garden. Nobody wanted to go down there in the middle of summer because they wanted to be outside. Uh, it's a dark place. It's got the most amazing like, American memorabilia around it, and there's Harley Davidson's and brilliant stuff. But it wasn't really generating the kind of traffic we wanted to get in the kind of branding. So uh, a colleague of mine who was one of the managers at Roadhouse said, and this, this bar slash restaurant, and it's live music as well. Why don't we have a, uh, a flair competition? And flair is the same thing as Tom Cruise in the, in the movie Cocktail where he's juggling the drinks. And it's an industry in itself. If you go to Vegas, you'll see people flair bartending, just throwing the cocktails and the drinks around. And it's not a gimmick. It's just it's a very cool way of doing it. And it's, it's great personality for the bar. So Brett and I set up then the flair bartending challenging competition that you'd win some money if you get up on the stage, etc. And we did this on a Sunday. There must have been about 15 people there. And we were like, this is not going to be good. But then over the next couple of weeks or three weeks, Brett then left to go back to, I think, New Zealand. I was left stranded. I thought, okay, how am I going to convert this and get people on my side and my team? So I started sending out faxes. Now, this is when faxes were bigger than emails. <laughs> I haven't sending heard that out... word in so long. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. The amount of times that I sat there typing in digits into a spreadsheet, it was just... I'm like, and I kept thinking at the time, there's got to be an easier way to be able to work. Um, <laughs> who knew? Uh, so, I mean, the emails were around. This is like 1999 or so. But majority of people were basically still using faxes. So, so basically, I, started, I found out when most of the staff at the bars were, were changing over the roster, when they were doing the new rotor, say if it was on a Thursday, then on a Wednesday evening, probably about 11 o'clock, in the evening, I would preset the faxes to go out to say, hey, in a week and a half time, in like 10 days' time, we've got our flyer challenge coming up. Do you want to compete in it? So by the time they'd seen that, when the roster's supposed to be set up for the next day, for the following week, these staff want to take the time off to be able to come down to our competition. And they want to compete. And every time you get a bartender standing on a stage and doing a flair uh, and aiming to win money, he brings or she brings all their friends down oh, who yeah. work in other bars. And they then bring their customers down. This then spiraled to this insane level that... We were having, I mean, three turnovers of people during the daytime. We had to serve bottles of beer in, in cases near the stage because people couldn't get to the bar. We were handing out thousands of well, pounds in prize money. And it wow. just came from something really simple. Who do you want to get in your bar? You can't get Joe Public, who are tourists or locals, because they don't care about this. Get industry players. It will then generate amazing credibility for the bar industry who then see Roadhouse as a mover and shaker location that on the last Sunday of the month, you know what, the only place to be is in Roadhouse. So it enhanced the brand uh, to between bartenders within the bar industry that attracted then all the bartenders, their friends, all their locals, all their customers, and it just blew. And this is like, I think they're in the 12th year now, and it's just absolutely the biggest event in, on the planet now when it wow. comes to flair bartending. That is so cool. It came from faxes. <laughs> it came from faxes. That is so funny. Yeah, I'm imagining cocktail on glass on uh, faxes, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so 
I want to know how you translated all of this, all of this information, all of these experiences that you had as a professional into your business. Let's let's start first with why you decided to open MyTab. Um, and we're going to get into talking about exactly what it is first. But what was your catalyst for actually opening your own company? I didn't. I didn't have a catalyst. Everybody always says they want to be their own boss or they, they've come up with an amazing idea. I have to, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I came up with the idea for my tab in 2005 when I was living in L.A. And, and then I moved to San Francisco and I sat on it and I kept thinking about it. And I'm like, nobody else is changing the industry and there's some really big problems in the industry. And why is nobody looking at this? And why am I the only person that sees this? So after my green card came through, I think it was like 2008, I decided that I was going to run with it. And so in 2009, uh, when I had some more free time, I started pottering around. 2010 to 11, it just started going. And the next minute, I realized, and it, it probably is about a year into it, I realized that I was an entrepreneur. I didn't even think of it that way. I just was <laughs> too busy running the business to realize what my title was. But so I didn't want to be an entrepreneur in this, this sense, a typical sense. I wanted to get this business to work because I knew it was going to change travel and e-commerce. So to do that, I probably had to be an entrepreneur. So this would be the perfect time to actually run through your business model. Can you explain what my tab is and what, you know, what services you provide and what your business model is behind that? Uh, so basically, my tab is just very, very simply. It's a way that you can save travel cash. Friends and family can gift you travel cash for celebrations like um, birthday, anniversary, etc., or for trips like a study abroad or a honeymoon. And then you can use all or any of the funds for travel within our site. We've got thousands of airlines and hotels that we partner with, so you're not restricted. Uh, and then once you book your trip out, you can thank everybody socially for chipping in. So we're bringing back a very nice um, life cycle to gifting uh, because usually when you're giving a gift card, only 70% of gift cards are used. And on top of that, nobody ever knows what happened with the gift card, the person who gifted. With ours, it generates a really nice life cycle. The consensus and the origination of where MyTab came from, because there's no loyalty in travel, because we spend average nine hours hunting around for, for say, for example, a flight. And then once we've booked it, and it's the most frustrating part of the whole trip experience, we never know if we've got the best deal, and the 700 billion travel industry doesn't know either. But my part was psychologically, if you've got money in your account, it's going to feel like monopoly cash. So when you're ready to book your trip, you're not going to be spending nine hours and you're not going to be frustrated and irritated because you've got the money there. And we've been proven people spend 15 minutes on our site booking because they've got the cash there already. Oh, wow. So that answered one huge issue in travel alongside increasing gift card turnover and the life cycle because we're seeing over 98% of gifted cash use. And then I started moving to the second part. But if we have all that money in the accounts, we can manipulate that and we can basically stabilize the industry so there's no more erratic prices nearer towards the time people want to take a flight or maybe nearer towards the World Cup or nearer towards the Olympics. And we know airlines abuse the system and they charge customers three times the amount. If we know that we've got customers who have got funds in their accounts, we can, and they're heading to the same destination, etc. We can then negotiate exclusive deals with airlines and hotels at slow and long lead times. So then we stabilize this price structure because the airlines and the hotels are generating revenue through us way ahead than they usually would do. So okay. we became multi-loaded in the concept of how it works. 
That's incredible. So uh, let me just ask a couple of clarifying questions here. So I want to make sure I understand the difference between this and something like, oh, I have a Southwest credit card and now I earn Southwest points whenever I use it and I can use those points for Southwest flights. Uh, What I think I hear you saying is that this is more universal. So this is like, you know, let's pretend I have an Amex gift card, but this is now the MyTab gift card. And any, if, you, if I'm getting married, people can contribute to this gift card. If I'm going overseas and I'm going on this thing, like people can gift to it. Um, I can even put money to, into it and then I can use that for whatever travel I want. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what it does. It's, um, there was one point that you mentioned that I just completely blanked out of, but you know, like the Amex side. Okay, so that's Southwest. I'm like, I'm either like a, a, a goldfish or like an elephant. I either can't remember a single thing or I'm amazing at retention. Um, when you're talking about the Southwest side, I have that effect on people. You just blank out. No, but you were only talking for 20 seconds and I completely forgot the beginning. Well, somebody's got to like, occasionally forget things. You've got to free your memory up so you can store more things. So, okay, so Southwest, for example, people are restricted in Southwest, and people are only having to use that money within Southwest. Right. And I don't know whether you use that money that I gave you on that gift card for a trip because there's no social interaction with ours. Not only are people gifting, and they're also posting on the friend's Facebook, well, hey, I gifted you for your study abroad. Hey, I gifted you for your graduation. And maybe you're saving. It could be a combination of either or or both. But then once I book that trip, I'm saying, you know what, thank you all, because now I'm doing that volunteer abroad trip. And because of all of you, you, you literally are sending me packing. Thank you so much. And that's going to be posted out socially. So not only are you unrestricted on the, the airlines, I think the only one that we can't use is Southwest because Southwest doesn't partner with any third parties. But any other airline, every other airline and hotel, even the budget ones, we partner with. So yes, it's the same thing as like an Amex car, but it's online. Wow. So I'm getting the feeling like this is sort of like a kickstart. Like you can use it as almost like a kickstarter for your pro- like your travel abroad project, but it's not, you know, it's not charity, it's gifting. So that's a huge shift and you can actually use all these points for whatever you need. Can you talk can you talk a little bit about the other component of that which is um, basically using the amount of monies that people have in these accounts as leverage to negotiate. What, what actually truly has to happen in order for that? I mean, are you picking up the phone call with American Airlines or with, you know, um, oh, no, travel? No, 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 like, no. What, what's actually happening in that negotiation? Okay, so basically the first thing you mentioned about Kickstarter, ours is a psychological difference than any other kind of these funding because you're cashing the money out and nobody knows what happened with it. And these are also strangers that are giving to people on Kickstarter. Ours are friends and family. This is an emotional attachment. So there's two very different psychological areas um, that we have that ours differentiates from anybody else. When you're going through the process, you're going to sign up to my tab and you're going to create a vanity username and you're saying, hey, um, uh, study abroad Africa. Whatever it is that you're going to, um, so it'll be mytab.co slash studyabroadafrica, and then you post that on your Facebook wall or through mytab. You can email out to your friends and the family and say, "Hey, I'm doing a study abroad Africa. Here's my vanity username. Can you maybe put some money on my tab? My birthday's coming up. Instead of giving me cash for my old, instead of buying me a gift, can you put the money on my tab because I want to use it towards the trip?" Every time somebody gifts you, you receive a notification either on your Facebook wall or you get it through mytab. That money's now accumulating. You can be setting reminders on my tab as well for your trip. Maybe remember to make sure my passport's not expired. All these extra, remember to go and get a new suitcase, 
etc. So you're setting reminders for yourself. You can also be planning the trip with friends. So you're all saving to separately, but you're all planning it together with group reminders. And then when you're ready, you simply click on the book travel portion of my tab. You see your funds that's been accumulated now through gifting and or saving. <laughs> Excuse me. You see that, okay, American Airlines uh, flight that you want to be able to take. And you click to be able to book, and the funds will deduct immediately from your MyTab fund, and your flight confirmation will come to you. Now, if you're short of cash at the time of booking, say the flight's $1,000, and you've got 900 in your account or 700 MyTab will say, you know, you can't book it down. Go over to PayPal, use your credit card through PayPal or your PayPal account, top up the funds. It'll bounce you back to MyTab in a few seconds once you've done that. It will then say $1,000 in your fund, and then you can book. So it's all in real time. And then you book your trip, and then once you've booked it, hey, do you want to tweet out? Do you want to Facebook out? Do you want to notify people? You can post that, I booked my trip, thank you all for chipping in. It, it's that wow. simple. How cool. It's so a very nice lifestyle. It's a very nice circular way of doing it, so people are seeing the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then it rebounds again. Maybe you've got some funds left over and your friend Sarah is a bit short of funds, but she's going to South Africa with you. Maybe you're going to re-gift her over $50 from your account to her so then she can book. This is such a cool concept, but I have to, I have to say the one thing that keeps popping in my mind is how tech-heavy this has been to actually build this platform. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like? I mean, are you the techie in this whole thing? <laughs> I mean, that's a huge... <laughs> project. So uh, were you the technical person or did you actually have to go out and source the person who actually could create the software that would enable all of these things? Because this is a lot. It is really, really loaded. Now, basically, I mean, if you're going onto the site, it looks pretty to go to mytab.co. It's not a .com, it's a .co. Or you go to mytab.travel, which balances to the same site. It looks really simple. It looks really clean. It looks really nice. Nobody really in the travel industry, this is in 2011, so it seems like really backwards, we needed to have an XML API because usually if you go to any third party and you say I want to go to jonestravel.com or whatever site and you go over there and you flick through it because you just like the portal, when you are ready to book it will then bounce you to Expedia or Orbitz or whichever platform or the airlines themselves because mm -hmm. Joan is just receiving a commission once the, the, once, once the booking is placed to a dedicated URL. With ours, we have to keep the customers within our site. They can't bounce over to, say, Expedia or Orbitz or whoever you, Travelocity, because how are they going to spend the money that they've got on my tab? They can't take it out to be able to, how are they going to do it? So we needed to have a, our partners built into our system, and it needed to be an XML API, and there were only a couple of them out there. And one of them we spoke to said, yes, yes, yes found out afterwards as we were in the final stage about to do the integration, by the way, it won't be ready for six months. Oh so I went into a blind panic on a Friday. <laughs> I think it was, I was knocking back. This was, this was your developer was that was telling you this? No, this is one of our, one of our advisors, who's our, te our technical advisor, and I, with our developers, we were talking with the travel company saying, right, we're ready to integrate with you now. And they said, oh, by the way, we weren't 100% honest with you. We actually haven't got it ready and it might not be ready for a few months. Wow. But what you can do is have them come to our site to book. Well, that defeats the whole objective. They right. have to stay in our site to book. This is how can the poster on Facebook and Twitter thanking people for gifting when you don't have that feature and it's clunky. This, this is not what our platform is designed for. I, on a Friday afternoon, after being in a blind panic, taking excessive amounts of chamomile herbal pills to calm myself down, <laughs> 
got in touch with Expedia. I found a contact through LinkedIn. I know them, one of our travel, one of our advisors, knew Expedia, but it was a different contact. It wouldn't have worked. I literally called, I'm like, I need to speak to you now, 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 now. It's Friday afternoon. Call me back. This is urgent. You don't know who I am. Call me. Call me. It's life and death. He calls back within an hour. Who are you? I explain what we're doing. Within three days, they agreed, they confirmed, they signed the documentation, and we were building the API. Wow. It was bizarre, but technically, it is really loaded because also you've got to remember we're the only travel portal. And the first one's in pioneering on grabbing unique data on pre trips. We know where the customers are going, why they are taking a trip, how many people they're taking the trip with, how far in advance they're planning it. There's, a ton of data, so we needed to build up our potential big data set in the technical side. So there was a lot, and because I'm not technically minded, it was a lot of sleepless nights, but we did it, and it was really, really hard work, and we had to shift directions probably about 12 times, but we couldn't veer from the objective. It had to be done, so the team had no choice but to find a way to do it, and it was non-negotiable, and we did it. What advice would you give to any woman who has this really brilliant idea, but it's going to take a lot of tech and they're not the tech person. And just like you, they know they have to go out and find developers. They have to go out and find the people to really handle this. Um, You know, there's so many really horrible stories of the developer, you know, just miscommunication, things not happening correctly. And that, you know, so many people I've talked to have been like, oh, you just already have to plan for tens of thousands of dollars to go down the drain in order for you to learn the lesson for, you know, developing and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, did you have any troubles in being able to find the right developer or what lessons did you take away from that experience of having somebody else, another technical company, really create your vision? Well, we didn't have a technical company. We bought them in a house and financially I was flush enough to be able to load that. Um, mainly because, well, there's two sides of that one. The first one is we have the, the technical advisor. I've known him for a long time. I completely trust him. We have a lot of mutual, we've got mutual friends that we are, we're a good bond. Um, so he was overseeing the tech side. He was overseeing the tech team as like the tech advisor. I would definitely advise you need to have a technical advisor who you, through friends or your absolute gut says, this person is a gem, this person will have your back. That's the first part because that keeps the tech team on the toes because I haven't got a clue how to wire a plug. So the last thing I'm going to be able to do is basically learn how to code. Um, <laughs> but the second part was, I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, I blow my microwaves. Every four months I have to get a new microwave. I don't know how to do rice. I mean, I'm, I'm horrible with technical stuff. I just, I mean, I did once. I just once, I, what did I, I put a bagel in the microwave for five minutes and it took four days for the smoke to get out the kitchen. And I had a patio oh on my, my gosh. kitchen, a patio door. So I have no idea how to do this kind of stuff. Um, on the other hand, I was really analytical in bug testing. Bug testing is making sure that you do a multiple different ways of signing up to the site and people making errors and mistakes. And you have to go through those again and again and again to realize, okay, if somebody's about to sign up and then they don't, and they don't finish it off or they can't remember the password or they do something, okay, is it working okay? Is the site working? They try to create a new reminder for something and the reminder's showing up but it's not sending the notification. And you have to test and test and test. It's called QA testing. I found out through being advised from somebody else who came on board to do some, some QA testing for us at the beginning, I was really good at doing that. So as long as you have a really rock star advisor and technically, and that person is pretty much home turf, 
and you also learn to do the QA testing. You can slightly corner and dilute the, um, the severity of having a, a developer screwing you over. I personally wouldn't advise you go through a, uh, individuals who are based maybe in a different country like Russia or the Philippines, etc., who you don't know. You need to go through somebody who do know who refers you over. There are now amazing companies who do the coding and the set of the systems for some of the Silicon Valley websites who have got a lot of funding. Find those companies out because it's their reputation that's at stake. This is a business. If you can, bring in developers while you retain the most amount of equity for the business. Uh, the industry, it's a boys club, everybody knows that. I was bitching and yapping about it at the early stages and I realized, you know what, forget about doing that now. Just keep on doing what you're doing. I don't care if I don't have a co-founder with this business. I would love to have somebody, more people come on board, that you shouldn't be in a situation that you have to bring that guy on board because investors will pretty much only invest in men. Um, you, you, you need to maybe go through the ups and downs yourself on this, but when it comes to the technical side, it's great if you can get a co-founder who is technical, but as long as you've got a rock star advisor who is willing to be really hands-on at the beginning and oversee the developing team and you can control the equity and scale from that, you can do it as well as bringing in a co-founder who is technical. What has been one of the biggest challenges that you've had, like getting MyTab into the marketplace, growing the company? Um, you know, what, what have been some of those challenges? Well, I mean, I was speaking with one of our partners a couple of weeks ago, and we had like quite a few brainstormers about it. I mean, they absolutely love the business that we're doing. They absolutely adore the thing. It's not just for travel, but e-commerce, because I can get to the business model afterwards. But um, there's, there's so many things that it is versatile at doing. It will change the way we buy everything online. Um, but when you do something that is so different than what people are used to, they are familiar with the pain. And it's hard for people to get out of that familiarity to try something different that they logically know is going to be a lot easier. But they're used to the security of the familiarity. They are used to hunting around for weeks trying to find a deal. They are used to giving somebody a lame gift card that means absolutely nothing and never knowing if it's getting used. There's quite a few of those scenarios I can go through. So with ours, everybody gets it. But with the times that we've had to tweak and pivot and maneuver around to be able to, uh, not so much on the pivoting side, more like explain further and not presume. So people are understanding it, they're seeing the ease of using it, and it then makes sense they can spread the world. That part was hard. If you come out with the most amazing idea, you have to remember, you have to make it a percentage familiar to what's going on. It's like a quote that I heard the other day. You have to create something that's unique, but it also has to be better than what's existing. Hedy, after all of these years, both in your professional career and, you know, within my tab, you've always had really a huge leadership role. You said that as soon as you stepped into marketing, what kind of leader are you? I'm a feisty one. Very, very fast. <laughs> <laughs> I got I that. I am really going, I've got no, there's no, I'm an Aries with Aries rising, so I'm basically a slam dunk in my own self, and I don't understand anybody that just can't just, that has a filter, I just don't understand filters, I just, I was obviously, I was, I was missing the defect with that when I was born. In, the, the, the kind of leader I am is either, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a great motivator, I am also the biggest antagonizer, 
I am probably best suited, and I know what my strengths are, and I know what I'm good at, and I know when I push it too much with people, and I wind people up, and I'm a, I am a winder-upper, because I get excited about it, and I get a feisty. I personally don't like being a leader. I truthfully would like to be having like the Eric Schmidt coming in and being the CEO because as an overall, when you're dealing with the company, I am so ridiculously hyperactive and excitable. I then won't gel with everybody in the company, even though I own the company. Somebody who is all round and calmer and balances me out would be a better CEO. So that's Pretty much what we're looking around for at the moment now, for somebody to come on board and be the CEO so I don't have to be and I can focus on the bigger picture, on the creative and the multi-layer five, ten-year plan that I've got lined up. Um, and it's difficult for people to admit that they don't want to be a CEO. I very easily will admit I don't. Mm. It, you're doing it for the benefit of the company and you've got to work out what you're good at. And I'm really good at motivating and pushing and slam dunking and the vision. But I definitely am not good at overseeing people. I haven't got the patience. <laughs> That's very good. They always say you should, know what, you're, you should know what you're great at. You should know what you're not great at. So good for you. Yes, you have to be really good. You've got to be able to SWOT analysis. Like anybody that's listening in, you've got to, you really have to do a SWOT analysis of like what are your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your, your threats. And on the creative side, I absolutely blast through that on the vision for the business and the way I speak and the way I act. Absolutely, I know what I am. I would never be a good CEO. I'm, I'm, I'm too feisty and I'm too much of one. And a company needs to have an all-round of a few. Mm. That's a really good point to bring out. How exactly is my tab earning revenue? Because you're telling people, like, does it take a cut of a certain percentage that people are gifting in? Or how do you guys, are you, do you have partnerships with the travel agencies? Like, how are you actually generating revenue? What are your pockets? And so, but, well, this is actually really funny. At the beginning, actually up until about eight months ago, we were always taking the hit on the PayPal fees. Uh, we, we have an exclusive rate with PayPal, and my tab was taking the hit on the fees. So if I'm going to give you $30 for your birthday, you'll receive the 30 and my tab takes care of the, the fees. Customers didn't like that because, again, it was too unfamiliar. So we basically included the, we added on the fees. So the customer now pays for the fees. It was just really, really bizarre, but they, they preferred it that way. Um, so that's what care of that in one sense, but the monetization side, uh, we get it from flight and hotel commissions, which we get from the, our, our partners, not from the customer. We don't charge the customer anything. Um, we will be getting it as we're scaling from the match my cash feature, uh, for getting the percentage through of revenue that's coming through from the exclusive deals. What we, what, what we take the power of crowdfunding to a new level. Uh, also from licensing out our API, so Fortune 500s can be using our technology feature set platform, uh, and we'll be licensing that out. Uh, we've also, because we're generating this potential big data, tourist, um, tourist boards will obviously be wanting this information. They'll be wanting to um, know what customers are thinking about their region and how far in advance, etc. So we'll be, sell, be able to sell off the customized data Adding more features like at destination uh, uh, attractions, concert tickets, etc. I'm adding that in, and we've got quite a few bells and whistles lined up for our um, uh, our mobile app, which I'm not going to go into at the moment. But that's a, a, a very very cool concept that has a, a, a completely different uh, revenue stream. So it's, it's very much loaded when it comes to our business model. It's so unique in the business model sense because it has so many legs to it. Wow. Hedy, you're all obviously like incredibly passionate about this and the continual evolution of MyTab. How do you manage 
your life? Like, what does your life look like right now? I mean, I would imagine so many of us entrepreneurs, our lives are like so integrated, personal lives, business lives. What does your life look like right now? And how do you manage it all? Well, when I started the company, it was, um, I went through a very, very big transition because as one of our advisors said that having a startup is a life-changing experience. It absolutely, it's complete. It does take over your life. You need to get a balance with it. But when I go, go gung-ho on something, I just go gung-ho and everything basically goes out the window um, because I believe that strongly and I see the future of online everything changing from what we're doing. Um, so yes, you are relentless. And there's times that it will be exhausting and I just can't think straight. And I might literally spend the whole evening playing Facebook games while I'm trying to re-strategize something else, knowing I've got a ton of work to do, customers pending and all this kind of stuff, because I need to re-strategize. There are patterns that you need to create in your system that, that gives you a familiarity, basically, when you're working. So I started restructuring. I didn't go out anywhere. I didn't go out and I didn't socialize at all. I wanted a bootstrap. I went down to student mode where I basically I didn't go out for drinks. I just worked and worked and worked. But I did Israeli martial arts. I did Krav Maga. I do conditioning. I do TRX. I do boxing bag class. You have to break away and you can't think about work when you're doing that or you're going to get punched. You're going to get hit. You're being disrespectful to your partner. Um, so you have to break away and it resets. It, it presses your default button. So that's one thing that I definitely suggest that I've been doing. Um, I think that if you want to work till 4 in the morning and then you don't wake up till 11 o'clock the next morning, fine. If you know that you've got to be up at 7 o'clock in the morning, then deal with it. Get over it. Deal with it. You can't go half-mast in a startup. If you're going to do it properly, you're going to go all in. And with the ups and the downs, your, your lifestyle doesn't really exist. Um, I know a lot of people who, when they started the companies, they're traveling, they're living the same life. And I'm like, you're not focused. Being focused means this is your baby. You need to feed that baby constantly. Mm. And I see other entrepreneurs that have got funding and they are taking trips and they are working more, well, I'm working like 10 hours today and then I'll take the full weekend off. And I've seen them all not follow through. The, the, the businesses have not continued. The ones who are exhausted and drained, who are prematurely aged, who are now taking extra vitamins to keep themselves going, <laughs> that absolutely live and breathe and adore that business, they're the ones that basically break through. Well, Hetty, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I truly appreciate it. And thank you for bringing so much great energy. I am officially out of breath after that conversation with Hetty. Wow, does that woman have some energy. I totally loved it. Had such a great time chatting with her. Um, really wanted to hone back on a few points that she made in there, which I thought were great takeaways. One was her attitude towards marketing and really always creating a marketing plan to be able to plan out your marketing and not just constantly do sort of a random push for whatever new product or service that you had. I thought that was brilliant. And two, I thought that it was really admirable of her that she knew exactly where she was good and she, she knew exactly where she was not so good. So she was very easy to say, I need a CEO because that's not really my skill set. Here's where I'm really great. And there was no ego attached to that. I, re I really thought that that was wonderful. I hope that you got something great out of this and more so than getting something great, I hope that you choose to turn around and take some action with it today or tomorrow or the next day. Just put it in your calendar, you know, sometime. Make sure it's in your calendar and that you'll actually do it. 
Anyway, you can go to bizwomenrock.com to be able to see not only Hetty's interview, but also all the past interviews from all these great businesswomen. So just head on over to bizwomenrock.com. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to see you on the next episode. 